Andre, Anania, Matthew, Mania. Where were you on that one, Mahar? Come on. And I look, I took it a jab on the chin, rightfully so. I take pride. Listen, I've basically got one job in this league, and that is to say the names right when somebody passes it to somebody else or somebody shoots and scores. And talking last week about the Ty Nelson injury during a fight with Andre Anania, I called him Matthew. Anania, Mania, Uma, Oprah, like, come on with your coming on. But thank you for calling me out on it. I want to make sure I give these young men their due. I don't do it on purpose like some in the past have, deliberately mispronouncing names as part of their shtick. I got no shtick, and I got Andre's name wrong. I apologize for that. But again, I say, where the hell were you on that one, Mahar? <laughs> I, well, you know what? I had... Uh... Frankie Morelli as Maselli at, at least twice on the pod. So we've all got our ones that trip us up. So, you know, who might have cracked? Anytime we get a Maselli on this episode, as in Tony Maselli from Who's the Boss? And if you don't get that reference, I can't help you. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore. OHL. We got a lot in the email inbox this week. A lot of feedback on social media. You'll find Dan, as I mentioned, on Twitter at his name. I'm at Farwell underscore OHL, our YouTube channel. Loving every bit of it. Keep it up. Keep it coming. Tell a friend and welcome to your next episode of the OHL podcast. It turns out that we've got a little bit of an unanticipated, unintentional theme here. We're going to take a hard look at the West Division. And we're going to start at its northernmost point. And John Van Beesbrook, no longer in the rafters at GFL Memorial Gardens. Tansky, you want to start us off on that one? Yeah, well, for those that are not familiar with the background there, John Van Beesbrook, obviously an all-star goaltender in the NHL, uh, came through Sioux as a coach. In his coaching term there, had... Some noted run-ins with a few players, most notably star defenseman Trevor Daly, uh, whom he uh, used a racist term against, and there was a blow-up, obviously. Uh, Van Beesbrook was out. Um, but the the legacy somewhat tarnished, obviously. Um, and just going forward, having that banner there, uh, causing, obviously, some some bad memories for people that walk into that rank and see it based on that incident and, and the language that was used. So one of whom was Trevor Daly himself, who has to go back in that rank and see that banner hanging there. So Sue Greyhounds decided we're going to take that banner down because it's not representing what we intended it to initially represent. And I think all things considered, uh, it's a good call. So interesting thing is that I noticed this while I was there just a couple of weeks ago, because with the, addition of Joe Thornton's name and number to the rafters at GFL Memorial Gardens. Obviously, his banner went up. And the Greyhounds organization has what I would describe as modernized the banners. They, they look a little flashier, a little sexier, quite frankly, because prior it had just been pretty basic, right? Uh, red on white, name bar, number, and that was pretty much it. So there's an image on the banner. Now, it, it looked different, and I happened to notice it when I looked up. And my buddy up there who writes for the for suetoday.com, Brad Cacciamilio, great guy, love seeing him. One of the many reasons to enjoy my visits to the Sioux. But he pointed out, because I was looking up at the Thornton, I said, oh, that's new. And not just the Thornton, but the look of it. He says, yeah, they have, uh, they've updated all of them, but they didn't put the Van Beesbrook one up again. And 
I didn't really give it a second thought, Dan. Now, of course, it has made a few headlines. And I'm going to say this, and I'll preface this by pointing out that I think, and I've said this before on the podcast, the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds are one of the finest run organizations in the entire Ontario Hockey League. I think they do pretty much everything right. And we can quibble about this if we want to, but it's a banner with a name on it. Nobody is erasing John Van Beesbrook's records with the organization. Nobody is saying he was a terrible hockey player. Nobody's even frankly saying he was a terrible person. There was just an unacceptable incident that occurred between coach GM and black player on his team. And for those who have pointed out that it was up there for 20 years and nobody gave it a second thought, I would just ask you to reflect on your own privilege that it could be up there without you giving it a second thought. Because when Trevor Daly and perhaps some others went into that arena, they did give it a second thought. So you can say what you want about, okay, yeah, now you've solved racism because you took the banner down. No, and nobody's saying that. It's a banner. If it's up there, it's not up there. It doesn't make a difference in your life, I would assume, especially if you're like most people in the game of hockey. And that's like me and Dan, white guys who love the game or who have played the game. Uh, This, to me, is uh, attempting to get a Tempest going in a teapot. I support what the Sioux Greyhounds have done. They've just removed it. They're moving on. I think we all need to move on to simple as that. Yeah, and I think the important note here, Mike, you're absolutely right. In all these cases, you put yourself in the shoes of the people involved. And you look at these kids that come through the OHL, for the rest of their lives, these barns that they played in will be a part of them, a part of their home. And for someone like Trevor Daly, who was a star in Sioux, that was that was a home for him for years. Imagine being him having to walk through that door and that reminder is hanging there. And 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 at the end of the day, for everyone else that walks into that rink as well, when the banner's hanging there and people's first uh, memories of seeing it are of this incident that occurred, it's probably not achieving what you wanted it to anyway. So why don't we just put the, the victim of the incident in mind and say, yeah, you know what, this, let's just remove the reminder. No one else is, like you said, Mike, going to give it a second thought beyond a week or two from now. Trevor Daly will. So let's, let's, let's think about that and Tempest and Teapot and move on. Speaking of homes, I was really liking the Pasquale Zito homecoming story with the Windsor Spitfires, but alas, it was short-lived. Wasn't it a five-point game in his first game back? It was awesome. I'm thinking, this is great. What a way for the kid to be able to finish out his junior career. But instead, he has decided, you know what? That's junior hockey thing. It's not for me anymore. I know where the road is headed, and I'm going back to school. Yeah, and you know, I was with Brendan Sirazadi earlier, too. We talked about this when you have overage players obviously the majority of them are committed and they're they're in you have to be your whole heart your whole head has to be into it and obviously with Pasquale Zito not having played in the OHL for the first part of the season until he was traded decided yeah I'm going to come back and give it a shot but clearly his head was wavering all along on where he wanted to be where his commitment lay and for one reason or another decided you know what it's it's not working out uh as I planned I'm going to focus back on the education and that's fine Short-lived, had a great night or two there, uh, To and the Windsor Spitfires have been playing really well, so maybe they they benefited from his short time there. But yeah, I think, like we talked earlier, if your head and heart aren't totally into it, maybe time to move on. 
I was thinking too about how well the Windsor Spitfires have been playing. Cole Davis, Liam Greentree, really playing some good hockey right now, as well as the rest of the club. But it is decidedly different than the way the Barry Colts reacted when Sirizotti didn't show up, right? There were there was a request for an investigation from the league. I don't think one uh, has happened nor will be forthcoming. It's just these things tend to happen, but it's been pretty quiet in Windsor and Bill Bowler, the GM there basically said, listen, this doesn't really surprise us. We had a feeling he might've been leaning that way and case around. Now, I guess it's a little bit different in terms of the assets spent to, in this case, reacquire Zito versus what the Colts uh, gave up and got Sirizotti, at least in part in exchange. But I mean, it's it's water under the, the bridge now. And I just, I liked the story. Uh, so many times I've said, stealing from our colleague Jeff Merrick with Roger Sportsnet, that, you know, he doesn't so much root for the game as he does for the story. He doesn't so much root for the player as he does for the story. I liked the Zito story, kind of a homecoming there. But uh, I, I give the kid credit for having the gumption to say at this stage of his career, I'm done with hockey, at least at this level, at least for this moment. And off to school he goes. Yeah, and I think for a guy like Pasquale Zito, too, like a lot of them, they hoped not to necessarily play their overager in the OHL. They hoped it would have been moving on to maybe pro ranks at this point. And you'd spent your whole life in the game trying to achieve that goal. And when you're starting to realize that maybe you're not going to get there, then you start to question a lot of things in, in your life. And, you know, maybe fifth year in the OHL as an overager doesn't uh, appeal as much to some. And that's fine. Everyone's entitled to those decisions. But uh but yeah, that, that does happen from time to time. All right, so that's the Sioux, that's Windsor. Let's go to an email that comes in from Les. And keep the emails coming. We love to get them. OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Love us, hate us, like us, dislike us, think we're funny, think we're goofs, think we're not funny at all, whatever. Or you want something, a talking point that you're interested in us exploring. Les writes to OHLpodcast at rogers.com. Interested in your thoughts on the hit that caused the injury in Sunday's game between Sarnia and Windsor. I understand that there was no intent and it was kind of a freak incident, but you do see that type of play quite a bit. The kind of stop reverse hit. I know a lot of it is probably self-preservation as the players anticipating a hit themselves, but at a minimum, isn't this interference as the players are generally converging on the puck? This is my favorite part of Les's email. Love the content, even with the Kitchener bias. LOL, sincerely, Les. Appreciate you, Les. We do our best. I guess when you grow up in a town, it's hard to shake that town. But Dan, I'll start with you on the injury reverse hit to Zach Filak. Yeah, first of all, thanks, Les. We do our best, but we understand there's always going to be a little bit of bias based on where we're located. But on the reverse hits, I, I I do think that it's high time. You're seeing a lot more of them. So I do think it's high time that the league comes out with some clear guidelines on what is legal versus illegal. There's the players are all taught to brace themselves and prepare for the hit. And there's there, where's the line in there, right? Because I think what Les is describing is those reverse hits where happens a little early, right? Like the guy stops three or feet, three or four feet short of the puck. Throws the uh, shoulder up, sometimes right into the chin. We've seen some pretty nasty uh, head contact from those hits in the past. So I think that this calls for some video, some instruction at the start of the year for these players. Here's a legal reverse hit. Here's an illegal one. I think no one has any issue when it's on the puck and you're just bracing yourself and, you know, a stronger guy wins. Uh, That's what kids are taught to do. Uh, But I think that's what the issue is, is was the player coming in 
Uh, did he have the opportunity to get to the puck first? If not, that's interference. Clear as day. Did the shoulder come up into the head or the chin? If so, there's a headshot. So there's pretty clear parameters in my mind that if they start training people on that, I think what's lacking right now is there hasn't been a lot of training in that, Mike, at least to my knowledge. To my knowledge, it's just here. You have reverse hits fine as long as you've got the puck and you're protecting yourself. So there's some gray area there that players will start to take advantage of. And we've seen some pretty nasty ones when that buffer zone was kind of violated. So that's kind of my take on it. I know it's a, it sounds a little wishy-washy, but I do think there's a line there what's legal and what's illegal. Funny you should mention video because that's where I wanted to go with this particular example. And, you know, less your point about our bias or lack thereof, notwithstanding, I've got no horse in the Spitfire Sting race here. So I'll just give it to you the way I see it. And I wish we could see every single game, every single weekend. Video on this one was was tough to get. But video in this case is something that the officials on the ice did review. And in fact, after reviewing it, decided that there was no penalty on the play at all. So I'll liken that to something I did see in a game I was involved in on the weekend. And that was on Saturday between the Erie Otters and the Kitchener Rangers. And I didn't see what happened to Rangers forward Adrian Misseljevic. All I saw was that he was on the ice. He was writhing in serious discomfort and he needed help getting off the ice without really putting any weight on what appeared to be um, one of his legs injured. And so the officials, five minutes went up on the board for slashing and the officials took a look at it and ultimately reduced it to two Rangers did get a power play. I didn't see the slash at all. My point in bringing this up is as much as I dislike video review, because I think it really bogs down our game and it's a great fast game. I, I have seen enough reviews this season that lead me to believe when they do take the time to review it, because we have the technology and we're making use of it, they tend to get it right. So I think in this case, we defer to the officials who watched it frame by frame, slow motion, however you want to describe that, and didn't think there was an infraction on the play at all. So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the training that these officials have had, the angles they got to look at, and the way they got to look at this play that we didn't have the advantage of doing. And I'm going to say this is unfortunate. It's a little bit fluky, but the end result is not even a penalty in the eyes of the officials doing that Spitfire sting game. So obviously we don't want to see players injured. And I'm hearing that it, it might not be too serious for FELAC, which is a good thing for sure. I want the best players on the ice every single game, 68 games a year, 60 minutes a game if they can play it. But in, in this case, I think we'll just defer to the officials having gotten it right often when they go to video this year. And I think they they got it right this time around. So I think you make a good point, Dan, on, on how these guys might be able to be trained as officials and what to look for. And the players get some instruction as well, but we just have here one of those things that unfortunately happens from time to time in the game of hockey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, Mike, when the game evolves and, and things change, and I think when you start to see something proliferate, like you're seeing with these reverse hits, you didn't see that a lot going back over the decades. You're starting to see it more now. And one of the things that comes from training and video work is not just understanding the difference between legal and illegal but for the attacking player as well these the worst of these hits tend to happen when a player starts reaching early and leaning right so you can start to teach these kids better about how to attack that puck without putting their head in a vulnerable position or without putting their body in a vulnerable position 
uh, the angle of attack, when to reach in, all those body leverage, those types of things, because you can certainly train these kids to actually be a little more protective of themselves when they come into these situations. So it's a two-way street on the education piece. But I think whenever you see something start to evolve in the game and proliferate, it's time to address it, at least with education. Like we're going to have to um, ad address the icing rule, right? When it's uh, the in arena timeout, we're going to have to look at that because we're seeing it happen that gives teams an advantage. So these are little things. And this is why I think we review the rules so many times in the game of hockey. They'll take a look at these things over the summer, find out if it is something that's becoming more and more common and common enough that it needs to be addressed through further instruction, be it for the players or for the referees. So less I'm, I'm, assuming maybe not the answer you want to hear. Do you want us to throw the book at somebody on Windsor? Uh, we're not feeling that way in this regard, but keep the questions coming to the inbox. And so we'll stay in the West division and answer another question. This one coming from Alex, who writes to OHL podcast at rogers.com. I am Alex Shepard, a Flint Firebirds season ticket holder. boy, Alex, way to support the local team. I was wondering if you could do a segment on them. They've really been pushing up the ranks with two OT wins last week and Nolan, Dan, and hoping to keep up the record this coming week. Thanks, Alex. P.S. Can I get that media room list? Okay. On the media room list, I joked last week that I will give you, if you ask for it, the definitive ranking of media rooms across the Ontario Hockey League. Because I think last weekend I was, or last week on this episode, I was still full from my trip to Saginaw. That'll come, the definitive media room rankings. But to your question about the Flint Firebirds, gladly. I just wonder, Dan, if Alex is feeling a little less enthusiastic this week, two OT wins last week, and then a couple of losses for the Flint Firebirds this week. Oh, that's the kind of season it's been for Flint, I think. Yeah, and you know, Flint has kind of flown under the radar, admittedly, uh, in the league and on this podcast for a few reasons. One, initially sold so it looked like you know kind of waving the white flag this year but then they bought right so we talked about how how interesting it was and we we weren't quite sure what they were doing then giving up assets to get Oliver Peer but Oliver Peer is continued producing uh we've got the Petrie brothers that are putting on a show and of course Nolan Dan what a what a sneaky good shooter that that guy is um you forget about him right he he put up pile up points and Sarnia pile he just scores wherever he goes you know you've had these players over the years in the NHL that seem to move around a bit you don't think of them as top tier but everywhere they go they just produce they just score they just score and uh splint's core has been actually quite good um and you look at some of the prospects on that team too they won't have eye-popping offensive stats but do they ever do the work right they do the the little things that that can make you successful and i think that flint is lurking around the bottom of that playoff picture and i'm not sure that anyone's gonna be too thrilled to play that team in the playoffs mike are you well i maybe not be i, I may not be as uh, enthusiastic myself about the firebirds as you or alex are remember i boldly predicted a week or two ago that it would be the windsor spitfires uh catching the flint firebirds and maybe grabbing a playoff spot and all of a sudden after flint's back-to-back -back losses this weekend and sarnia picking up back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back wins, it's the sting within a point of the Firebirds. Look, I'll, I'll say this. I I like the Firebirds market. I love the Dort Financial Center as an arena. I want to be there. I really do want to be there for a playoff game sometime because it just gives me all of the classic 
slapshot-esque hockey arena vibes. It's just the right kind of building for a junior hockey playoff game. So I can't wait till that opportunity presents itself. I'm sure it will at some time. If we're being honest about the organization, it has had its bumps along the road. I'm not sure that I really need to document all of the Rolf Nilsson and Terry Christensen drama that's gone on with the organization. Heck, I remember when they first got into the league and at least Kitchener, when we would travel down, took extra cases of bottled water with us because they had the whole water crisis in the city itself. None of that, I don't think, really is pertinent to Alex's curiosity about our thoughts about the team. I will add on Nolan Dan, even though we've talked about being both of us, Dan and I from Kitchener, that's in the region of Waterloo. There are three cities, four townships. Nolan Dan is a Cambridge boy. I consider him one of ours. So I'm always going to pump his tires every chance I get. And I love to see him succeed. And Dan, you're right. He's one of those guys that can really shoot the puck and find ways to pile up points. I, I just, I, I'm really curious about the trade deadline this year. And you already referenced it, Dan. So I don't need to go into great detail. I thought, and I had on my kind of score sheet, a really good season of moves. I think it was like net 20 draft picks for the Firebirds coming into the deadline when then they just made some rather strange deals. Gavin Hayes and Zachary drew out and then bringing back in Oliver Peer and Roberto Mancini. It didn't make a ton of sense to me. Maybe, Alex, the thinking here for the Firebirds is to help this core feel a little more comfortable get into the playoffs, taste a little bit of that, because I would project probably a couple years away until the Firebirds are back in that upper tier and competing for something special. The only other thing I will add in all of this is that I miss the hot tub. So if you can get the hot tub back into the Dort, I would appreciate it. Early days, they had fans that could sit in a hot tub in one end of the rink. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm never taking a bath with somebody else. Certainly not a stranger. If you like hot tubs, that's your own thing. But I thought it was a really neat feature in the arena. So I'm not going to back off what I had said a couple of weeks ago about Windsor. Maybe now it's Sarnia. I know you were stoked about the back-to-back -back OT wins a couple of weeks ago. Now it's back-to-back -back losses for the Firebirds. And I projected out just a little bit further. And I've got them with just seven wins since the beginning of December. So I, I think this year's edition of the Firebirds is, is kind of heading towards eighth or even ninth place. And we'll see where they're at in the next couple of years. That's my high-level analysis from here of uh, your Firebirds, Alex. But I love that you're a season ticket holder. You're out there supporting your team. Yeah, and two other quick notes I might add, Mike, because we were all puzzled by the moves. And I'm not saying by any stretch that I think the Flint Firebirds are going to win a playoff series this year. I think that top end of the West is so heavy. Um, point being more that we've talked about how there aren't really any easy marks in the league this year, and Flint is certainly far from the easiest mark. So I don't think it's going to be an easy road. But when I, I, I try to reflect upon why maybe did they do what they do, I, I, I think part of it is they kind of understand what they are, right? They're the, kind of a puck-moving team. A little bit of speed and zip. They weren't necessarily the, the strongest defending team. So they kind of went all in on that. And when you look at, as the season goes on, teams tighten up, clog that neutral zone. The ability to move, the ability to skate starts to become critical. So when you add an Oliver Pierre, you're starting to stretch that ice out and open it up. He can use his wheels to to create some of that space that you weren't that you no longer get after Christmas in this league. So I, I do think there is some strategy there involved in what they did when you think about it. But I'm not suggesting it's going to work 
for a championship this year, but I, I, I do think that it's not going to be an easy mark if anyone thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I will just add to my high level analysis of this. The Flynn Firebirds are a team that can ab like they can flat out fly. And when you get that core, you mentioned the Petrie brothers, so you get those guys working around the offensive zone, you throw in a Dan, you know, you throw in some of those others, then, you know, you've got a team that can uh, really whip the puck around some sharp, sharp shooters there. And again, they can, they can flat out fly. You're going to play an up-tempo game against them most of the time. Fun to watch. Keep those seasons tickets because in a couple of years, I think you're going to be really happy that you're one of those with the guaranteed seat. And I hope I get to see you in a playoff game uh, that season when it comes back around. Cause I really, I haven't had the chance yet to experience a playoff game in that arena and to just add on the arena. I talked about this, I think the beginning of this year, late last, but some really nice work done there with the, the renos there, the new seats, the ribbon advertising that goes around all of that stuff with the, the video board, et cetera. So well done. They're just a couple of years away from where I am sitting. That takes care of every team in the West except the Saginaw Spirit. Should we just throw in there? Yeah, they're good and move on. I think that's pretty. I, much I think that's good. yeah. That pretty much covers it. <laughs> that's all that needs to be said about Saginaw right now. I think we gave them a lot of treatment last week too. Okay, uh, before we move on, we would be remiss, and I hate to have to do this, but it's something that's uh, happened this week. And in fact, in the span of 24 to 48 hours, just some awful news coming out that we have uh, lost Logan Hunter, not even 40 years of age uh, to cancer. So that's the nephew of Mark and Dale, which would make it the cousin of Dylan, I guess, was uh, Logan Hunter. So condolences to the Knights family and, and, and the Hunter specifically on the loss of Logan to cancer. We learned through the Pittsburgh Penguins and a statement from Jason Spezza, his younger brother, Matthew, who also played in this league. He was a goaltender. I've got him Kingston, Ottawa, uh, London, and Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, and when, in fact, when Jason was in this league playing, uh, younger brother, Matthew, was kind of hanging around the rink there in Brampton quite a bit. So anyway, um, accidental overdose, absolutely tragic. We want to extend condolences there to another former OHLer. And speaking of Spezza, who played for the Mississauga Ice Dogs before the Brampton Battalion, uh, the first ever captain of the Mississauga Ice Dogs, Scotty Page, also passing at just the age of 44. That's a trio of little tidbits you don't want to have to add to the podcast, Dan. No, just awful news all around this week on all those cases, all memories of the OHL, but quite a reminder, too, that at the end of the day, this is just a sport, just entertainment, just a game, and what really matters is down the road. So uh, condolences to all three of those families, for sure. I started to wonder how difficult it is to score 50 goals in this league. And the answer is probably not all that difficult, but I'll fill you in on why I was curious about the question. Also, another great email from Troy, who's curious about how we schedule things in the Ontario Hockey League. And I'm just going to flat out say it. I love, I love the Eastern Conference right now. We'll get to all of that as we continue with this episode of the OHL Podcast. So let's 
let's just start, Dan, with the Eastern Conference. And I know you and I didn't go into great detail uh, on our pre-pod notes, but I don't think there's much that needs to be said other than how much fun the Eastern Conference is right now. At least that's the way I'm seeing it. What day is it? Who's in first? Oh, okay. So it's Sudbury right now, but Hamilton had their moment. North Bay, when this weekend began, the Brantford Bulldogs, I said Hamilton. You know what I was going to call you on that, but I didn't want <laughs> You should. Don't listen. <laughs> you already let me down on Andre and Anania last week. Don't do this to me again. So Brantford and Sudbury play on Friday. The Bulldogs come from behind to win the game and then take over first place. What happens the next night? North Bay comes into Brantford, wins, then North Bay's in first for a minute. Then Brantford goes and plays Oshawa, gets drummed by the Gens, but now the Gens are right up there. We've got four teams within a point of each other. As of the moment of this recording, <laughs> the Sudbury Wolves are still sitting in first place. But you've got Sudbury, you've got North Bay, you've got Brantford, you've got Oshawa, and, and Ottawa's not far behind in all of that. What an absolute blast it is right now, at least for, as an observer. I wouldn't want to be a coach or a player in that. And the Bulldogs without Nick Lardis, are, I'm sure they're very anxious to get him back. But anyway... Eastern Conference, tons of fun right now. Yeah, I love this, Mike. This is this is what I love about following this league. When you have it this wide open and this many good teams, this many teams with a shot, I actually find it more intriguing than when you have a, a powerhouse or two that look like they're going to run through the competition. As great as it is to reminisce about the power on those teams, it's way more intriguing when everyone has a shot. Uh, my only wish is that these teams all stay healthy. I don't want to see health be a big factor in the playoffs here. I want to see the wars that were we're going to see and and boy is it ever hard to predict who's going to come out of that conference right now because every single one of those teams you just named has a viable case to to run through that conference I think if they get hot at the right time a lot of strong strong goaltending in that conference we all know how goaltending can make the difference in the playoffs so which one of those guys is going to you know post a 930 940 in the playoffs uh yeah it's just there's so much intrigue in that conference this year that I just can't wait for the playoffs to start uh, hard to argue with that. And as I'm looking at the standings, Sudbury at 59, Oshawa, North Bay, Brantford, all at 58 points. Then there's Ottawa at 54, Mississauga at 52. You're talking one through six separated by seven points. And we've given a little bit of extra love on back-to-back -back weeks to both the Oshawa Generals and the Brantford Bulldogs, because these were teams that we saw liked the way they were playing and it's just it's just tons of fun. I thought it would be remiss if we didn't at least mention uh, how much fun that is. And of course, on the other side, you talk about those dominant teams and we made a quick passing mention of the Saginaw spirit. You got to talk about the London Knights, which I believe are now up to 19 games without a regulation loss, 17 0 20. It's 20 it's now. So 18. I think it's 18 0 and 2 now. So, yeah, it's absolutely incredible stuff. And they're getting it done without uh Michael Simpson uh, in goal, he's out with a, an illness I've heard it referred to as. I think it might be more injury than illness, whatever the case is, but he's out of the lineup. And I wonder, while we're on that front, if they might be the London Knights without Jackson Edward again. I haven't seen anything official from the league, but uh, a headbutting incident in Sunday's win over Guelph, which, yeah, did make them 18 0 and 2 and uh, Jackson Edwards is coming off a previous suspension. So it really makes one wonder what might happen this time, three games later. 
Yeah, I think for sure something's coming. I mean, you've got all the elements, right? A repeat offender, uh, black and white suspendable offense. Uh, just a question of how many games it's going to be for Jackson Edward, I'm afraid. Although the good news for the London Knights is Michael Simpson did return to that game yesterday against Guelph. So whatever it was he's dealing with uh, seems to be over that hump and played a terrific game uh, when Guelph especially was pressing late. Made... I might go as far as to say the save of the year. I don't know if you get a chance to see the video, but uh, there was a terrific save he made on Mr. Snellgrove on Guelph, who's, uh, I mean, they that team is starting to come with some of the young players, and they they put on a push at the end, and Simpson was phenomenal. So a lot going right for London, but yeah, I think they're going to have to do it without Jackson Edward for, for a few games. I saw Damian Slavic make a save of the year candidate in Kitchener on Friday night as well, robbing Luca Romano of the Rangers. So maybe a good weekend for the goaltenders. And while we're talking about suspensions, though, we haven't heard anything yet official on Jackson Edward. We have on Owen Protz. And this one's got people raising a few eyebrows. And I, I, I looked around to try to see if there had been a rule added that I missed and the answer is no, unless I missed it somewhere, but exceeding the threshold of boarding penalties. So kind of like the fight rule, once you're in three, you start getting suspended. If you get too many boarding penalties, it turns into a one game suspension. Yeah. And you know, Mike, the fighting one was communicated relatively well by the league. We knew that here's the deal. You get in three fights without the instigator in uh, the next one you're sitting. So we knew that this one was news to, I think, everyone. And there's no official word of what that rule is. So obviously it's something similar to the fighting rule. And I guess they're deeming that boarding is a dangerous play. And if you have a repeat pattern of taking that type of penalty, you're a danger to other players. So there is a threshold where you're going to sit after you take enough, just making players think a little twice, uh, think twice before they hit a guy in that danger zone around the boards. And frankly, I don't mind that. Um, I know not all boarding penalties are created the same, so you get run the risk of some players getting a chintzy one, and then suddenly maybe you're sitting if you take a second or third. But uh, in spirit, I don't mind that rule because we boarding's one of those things we don't want to have in the game either. So it's interesting to see they have a threshold. How hard is it to score 50 goals in the Ontario Hockey League? I started wondering about this because a player I see an awful lot of in Carson Rakoff was making it look like one of the easiest things you'll ever want to do. He started the season on a tear and he had 37 goals in his first 33 games this season. And so the question wasn't going to be uh, if he got to 50 goals, it was how soon he got to 50 goals. And then suddenly Carson Rakoff found himself in a bit of a slump. No, not a bit of a, a lot of a slump. He has gone goalless now in nine straight games. So the wheels start turning. I sent Dan a text and said, when do you think the last time was that the OHL did not have a 50-goal scorer? And Dan's like, ah, off the top of my head, I'd say 20 years. And so if you're playing on the prices right, you're within one. You win. Like, come on. It's, it's been 19 seasons since the Ontario Hockey League did not have a 50-goal scorer. I confess my memory is clearly really short for, th for things like this. And I'm like... Okay, there was 50 goal scorer last year, but what about the year before that and the year before that? Anyway, you've got to go back to the 04-05 season when Corey Perry won the scoring title with 130 points, but he only scored 47 goals that season. From 2005-06 until 2022-23, there has been at least one 50 goal scorers. In fact, there were 
two in each of the past two seasons. You can go back and find six players in 1819 who scored 50. We've got some 60 goal men in there, including Jesse Boucher, uh, uh, Alex Dabrinkit. Tavares had 70 plus back in in his prime. So it just goes on and on going all the way back. Dane Fox scored 64 one season. So it was Reed Boucher. I said, Jesse, I was going to say, I was going to call you on that one too, but start calling me. See all of these things. It's the randomness that comes in. Reed Boucher with the uh, Sarnia sting did it. No relation to Jesse either. But anyway, the point is tons and tons of 50 goal scorers. Now I didn't look at every one of them, but the sampling I did take, not a one of these players had a nine game goalless drought during their 50 or 60 or 70 goal campaign, which just makes me look at Carson Rakoff right now and say, boy, this guy is really, really struggling. Yeah. So a few things, Uh, I don't want to suggest it's easy because we had all those names you listed when you look at, you know, over 200 players in the league every year and one or two do it. Obviously it's a very hard thing to do, but uh, this is one of these things I'm not going to profess to be uh, a higher end player by any stretch. Uh, I had a lot of holes in my game, but generally my role was trying to score goals. So I, I have a little bit of Intel insight on, on this role and it, it's a hard thing. And it's a hard thing for a lot of reasons. One, when you, when you stop scoring for a game or two as a goal scorer, it gets in your head. The mental game starts to play. You start to feel like you're never going to score again. You're never gonna, so you start clutching the stick a little harder. You start, and then the second piece, obviously, is players key on you. You get the best defenders. You get everyone putting a body on you every chance they get. So things compound through the year where it gets tougher and tougher to score. And you got to get out of your own head. And you got to start beating these better defenders. And, and it's tougher checking. So you can shoot out of the gates to the 25 or 30 um, before anyone's paying too much attention. But then when they're paying a lot of attention, it, it gets that much harder to get to, to 50. So I don't want to ever suggest it's easy. But with goal scoring, we also know that these players, it, it, they're all streaky. It comes and goes. Very few of them are scoring a goal a game all year. A lot of them have droughts. They'll go five, six, even 10 games without a goal, and then they'll get, score six goals in their next three games or something like that. So I expect that's what you're going to see out of a guy like Carson Rakoff. But just keep in mind, those are the factors he's playing with right now, and he's in his own head a little bit right now and struggling with some of that checking. So it's not easy to score 50 is, is my uh, my bottom line. It's now going to be really intriguing to see that he gets there because, again, as I said earlier, it looked to be a matter of not if but how soon, right? 37 goals in 33 games. Well, given the absences for the World Juniors and injury here and there for Carson Rakoff, he's only got 18 left. The Kitchener Rangers have played 50 games, so he's got 18 to play and he needs 13 goals in those 18 games to reach the half century mark. I, I think that makes it intriguing despite the crazy tear that he was on, on pace to score 70, right? So, and freakishly, the last two times he scored in games, he had hat tricks both times, back-to-back hat tricks and then nothing, bupkis, zilch, zero, zip, not for nine games that's an incredible drought for a goal scorer to go through but i guess it adds just a little bit more drama to the remainder of the season for a guy that has been playing so well all right let's go back to the email inbox uh our buddy troy who does some great work on brantford bulldogs broadcasts love the work they're doing across the board there in brantford right now and troy sends a really interesting question to ohl podcast 
at rogers.com. Wondering if you and Dan have ever discussed the possibility of the OHL looking at dissolving three in three weekends. Now, might this be because the Bulldogs just came off an unsuccessful three? Troy, are you being biased to Brantford like we are to Kitchener? That's okay. We love you for it. But I think this is a good point. We haven't talked about it in a while, Dan. Dan. But Troy's email goes on to say, I think it's time to start considering what the sports science specialists say about the importance of rest for high-level athletes and the risk to player safety. Most OHL players these days are enrolled in high school or university remotely in some form, and it makes midweek games easier and more flexible for them. The speed and physicality of the game today, combined with bigger and stronger athletes, makes for an unstable scenario for a tired player at the end of a three-and-three. Too many times I've seen good teams completely outplayed coming into the last game of a three-game weekend. It's not the best recipe with so much on the line every game. The NHL doesn't do it. The NCAA NCAA doesn't do it. I think it's time to evaporate some old-school scheduling mentality in the OHL. Love the question, Troy. I've got thoughts. Dan, what are yours? Yeah, well, I 100% agree with Troy. As I, I've been actually lobbying for the NHL to ban two and twos. And from that standpoint, it's more thinking of the fans. You're you're paying hundreds of dollars for a ticket, and you definitely get an inferior product on the second night. So I, I'm thinking of the fans. And the OHL, uh, thinking partly of the fans as well. You're not getting a great product on a Sunday afternoon after a team played Friday and Saturday night. But more for the, the kids themselves. It's it's kind of unfair to ask them to perform at that level. And it may sound like an excuse. Oh, these guys got to suck it up together. You can't, you, you just can't do it at 100% all year long. And I, I think the OHL has done a better job lately of trying to avoid the three and threes as much as they can. Uh, but I, I would outright get rid of them, just like you said, Troy. I know the, the teams all want the box office of the weekends. It's a little better. And the bottom line really rules the day at the end of the day. Uh, and also to keep these kids in school during the week as much as possible. So there's educational concerns. All that said, I think we saw with the schedule this year, it, it's doable to limit them to two games a weekend and still get most of the schedule in. Yeah, sure, you're going to have the odd Tuesday night, Thursday nights here and there. But uh, I'm with you, Troy. I think for the quality of the game, for these kids themselves, for the fans, for all involved, abolish three and threes. So I want to be with on this. I like you, Troy. Dan, I think you're okay. But you just said the two things, Dan, that I think are the biggest factors in continuing with three and threes. One is the kids are generally in school. And I know you can roll your eyes at that. How many days are they in classes or whatever it is. But anyway, the the kids are in school or supposed to be in school. And the, the bigger piece of this, and we, I know we don't like to talk about it, especially in major junior, but it's a business. And again, if I use my bias of having grown up in and now working in Kitchener, you know, Dan, as well as I do, that the Kitchener Rangers could schedule a game at nine o'clock on Wednesday morning and thousands of people are going to show up for it. Not every market has that luxury. So, yes, while it's all well and good to say, let's play some more weekday games, not all markets are going to draw on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday night. Some markets, Barry North Bay, jump to mind immediately, have established a Thursday night home game, and maybe that works to a degree. But the bottom line is the bottom line. And the box office is always going to be better on the weekends. Now, look, I, I've been around long enough to have heard the stories. I remember when Belleville was still in the league, what we call the Eastern Swing used to be Kingston on a Friday, Belleville on a Saturday, and 
Ottawa on a Sunday afternoon. And some of the stories I heard was that teams would lobby Ottawa. Like, come on, can you just make it a night game? Give us a little bit more rest. And Brian Kilgary would be, no, no, our, our fans, they love the afternoon. Got to come in for the afternoon. Meantime, Ottawa would not have played on Saturday. And the team that comes in on the back end of a three games in two and a half days is basically a sitting duck for years and years. Five. In fact, I remember because I was there for all of them. We used to play a home game on Friday night with the Kitchener Rangers, head down to Sarnia and overnight there before crossing the border to get into Saginaw for a Saturday night game and then go directly there, directly from there to the Sioux for a Sunday afternoon game. Same idea. And I'll tell you what, you might as well have just put the two points in an envelope and mailed it up to the Sioux and saved yourself the trip because the visiting team in that situation and in my case it was with the kitchen rangers were overmatched completely and for five years in a row went oh and ten up in the Sioux with those two trips because they were always on that sunday afternoon so i i get where you're coming from and i think the point about if this is ever going to change it's going to have to change around the player safety argument the health the well-being and the the risk of injury to the players who really are your greatest asset in this league, right? Without them, ain't nobody paying to come and see your product. I just don't know how you get around it unless you're willing to start shaving some games off the schedule. And I don't think there's going to be an owner in the league that's all that interested in that. So I'm open to it. And how's this for a compromise? Because I'm getting older. I find it hard to go to the rink three times in three days. Sometimes I get tired. (laughs) I've noticed with the Kitchen Rangers, we've had two Two, three, and threes this season. I forget how many London has had, but did we mention already the 20 straight games without uh, a regulation loss? I think they're doing just fine with their three and threes. Thank you very much. Maybe we can find a sort of magic number where no team shall play more than this many, three or four three and threes. I don't know what the number is, but let's talk about that. I'm open to that. Otherwise, I just don't think you can do it. Money matters, and the kids are in school. Well, uh, just quickly on that, Mike, maybe I have, uh, I'm going to throw out some compromise here too. So on the education thing, I think a lot of these teams are affiliated with these educational academies now who work around their schedules. So maybe that's a bit of a workaround, you know, if you can take some classes on a Tuesday night instead of being in your high school during the day, who knows, maybe that helps on the educational side, but here's a, here's a potential compromise. I hear you about the box offices, about the number of games, et cetera, et cetera. So if we deem that it's three or four times a year, whatever the number is that every team is going to have to play a three and three. What about this? What will we designate those three and three weekends and everybody plays three and threes? No competitive advantage. Everyone's doing the same thing. This weekend, that weekend, and this weekend are three and threes for everybody. And then you can can get them in. And maybe that's a compromise. I don't know if it works from the building availability standpoint. Just thinking there might be workarounds if we try. Yeah, I know. You know what? I love that. But I think Herbie Morell's head just exploded. Herbie is the guy that is the schedule maker in the Ontario Hockey League. And he's old school, too, like pen and paper. Well, pencil with a racer on the end. Anyway, uh, interesting. And sure, maybe that's it. I, I guess the only other thing I'd add then is you're basically advertising when you're going to be diluting your product. And I, I just I don't know. I think what we are recognizing here is much like you said, Dan, you know, you'd rather the NHL not play on back-to-back nights. Well, the reality is for a 68-game major junior season or an 82-game NHL season, you want to get all the games in, all the revenue earned, and 
this is unfortunately the reality. And you're, you're gonna you're gonna take the risk. I guarantee you, this has been calculated before this episode of the OHL podcast. It you're looking at you know the risk of injury, man games lost, revenue. I and at this point, obviously, it still says we can get away with playing three and threes. That's my ten cents on it. Yeah, I don't disagree. You're right. There's realities that the league's gonna have trouble getting around. Is the bottom line. But okay. I don't like them. I, I don't like them either. I really don't because I feel, and I've seen some dog game. We all have. We've all seen dog games in this league over the years because you know one team is fresh and the other team is on the tail end of a three and three. And I'm just going to say again, though, too, the older I get, the more I become aware of how easy it is being teenager like forget i know the stress don't don't um, don't call me an old girl okay but come on you can eat mcdonald's and still run 10k like try getting as old as me and eating one hamburger and not being able to move for three days like come on teenager high performance athletes get out there and tape it up and play another game all right uh last week i threatened and and both jim and alex accepted they they dared to say I want the definitive ranking of media rooms in the Ontario Hockey League. So I'll tell you what, because we we do care about your time and we've had lots of things to talk about. We're just about to get to our prospects of the week. I'm going to save them for one more week, okay? It's also going to give me a chance because I'm on the road this weekend through Kingston and Ottawa. And I'll warn you right now, Ottawa is one of my bubbles. Unless they've changed things, it's going to find itself very near the bottom of the ranking. So let me check it out. This weekend, and then I'll report back next week, I promise, with your definitive media room rankings. But only because you asked for it. Just remember that you asked for it. Dan, who's your prospect of the week this week? All right, well, I'm actually going to pick a guy that I also picked once last year and was a little surprised to find out no NHL team drafted him. So, of course, he's on the radar. So what does he do for his encore? How about lead the league in scoring? And that's Anthony Romani. Uh, here's a guy that still ranked down 81st amongst North American skaters in the central scouting midterm rankings. Crazy low. So obviously there's some scouts not projecting him to the pro ranks for, for whatever reason. But for my money, when you're an 18-year-old and you've scored 42 goals, will probably be the first OHL to 50 this year. Leading the league in points at 78, only 18 years old. How can he not be a prospect of the week? So NHL teams paying attention. I'm sure you are at this point. Someone's got to draft this kid this year. I love love seeing that going for the guys that might've been overlooked before, but I just want to point something out, Dan, since you haven't been here for me on anything in this podcast so far, my Jesse and Reed Boucher's, my Andre Ananias last week. What else did I screw up? Anyway, I think I just heard you say that Anthony Romani is going to be the first to 50. Okay. That's uh, that's my prediction. It's on, it's on yeah. the record. It's yeah. on the record because because Rakoff did have thirty seven in thirty three, right? And he's only one behind right now. Uh, I think he's five behind now. I think Romani's up to forty two. Is it that many already? I, I believe so, man. He's just oh. he's just scoring, scoring, scoring. So that's that's why I don't feel like I'm going on too much of a limb there. But All right. We'll, we'll, All we'll right. Know. I'll give you that. I I need to pay more attention when I'm on the road this week these days. Um, just you're right, forty two for Romani in 49 games. Okay, he's got a good head start there. You're less bold than I thought you were. That was a good weekend for Anthony Romani. It was. All right, I'm going to um I'm going to stick with one of the teams. I I don't know how many times if I'd been tracking this, I'll bet you this is the fourth time I've gone to this team, but I'm really enjoying so many things that the Oshawa Generals are doing especially lately. So I'm going to go back to that blue line 
And look at Ben Danford again this week. Six assists in his past six games. Steady as she goes as a blue liner. Really doing a nice job distributing that puck. And a big part, like it's just, a, it's from the net out with the Oshawa Generals right now. Really been enjoying, I'm riding that General Motors wave in Oshawa. And I've got Ben Danford as my prospect of the week. Yeah, great call. Hey, what a, a solid player. And he's holding ground in those central scouting ratings too. So you know he's going to go late first to mid second. Seems to be the consensus. Doesn't lose any ground. And But what a what a jump some of those which others made. Hello, Jet Luchenko. Some of, the, some of these guys are hitting the radar heavily in the last half of the season. So it's starting to get interesting. A lot of buzz around the rinks, seeing a lot of uh, familiar faces when it comes to scouts being in, keeping a closer eye on these guys. And when you talk about a guy like Danford like that, who has kind of been holding steady in those rankings. It's not the easiest thing to do. Remember a year ago, it was a foregone conclusion that Cam Allen might've been a top 10 and started to kind of slip from that. There's a lot of pressure that goes with this sort of stuff. So anyway, uh, we got a Romani who was overlooked before, and we've got a Danford who's been on a pretty solid trajectory through most of this season. Your definitive media room rankings will come next week. I promise I'll make more notes while I'm away this weekend, but Thank you very much for joining us on another episode of this podcast. Keep those emails coming. Uh, give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend, and by all means, continue enjoying the games. Dan, if if this keeps up the way that it does, we might not be able to walk into arenas without people hounding us for autographs after all. I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath on that one, Mike. Maybe you, maybe you, but probably not me, so... I am not going to hold my breath on Romani beating Rakoff to 50. That's another one. We got some more bold predictions coming out. Guaranteed, we'll have more. You know where to find this. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. And please do tell that friend and give us a review. Thanks for listening to another episode of the OHL podcast. Do. Did. Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.